together as we prepare our hearts to receive his truth. Let's pray together. Precious Father, we thank you indeed for you have spoken. And we thank you that you have spoken uh, a difficult word for us. We pray that you would soften our hearts by your spirit. Grant that we would hear and trust and obey. And we pray this seeking your grace through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. We ask this in his name. Amen. Uh, this is one of the most iconic photographs. I think it's going to come up on the slides real soon. You know, this is one of the most iconic photographs of the Vietnam War. I, I'm sure some of you would have seen this photograph before. Uh, honestly, you know, I debated for a while to think about whether I should screen this photograph because of the nudity. Uh, but I figured that this is such a famous photograph that we've all seen this. It's been in the papers you know, many, many years in all kinds of magazines as well. Uh, these children, uh, for those of you who don't know, these children who are running away, they're running away from the destruction of bombs that have just dropped behind them. Uh, four napalm bombs dropped behind them. They were hiding in the temple. The bombs fell really close to the temple and they ran out of the temple. But the nine-year-old girl in the center of the picture has no clothes on because the flames from the napalm have burned them all away. Uh, they call her the napalm girl. You, know, you can read, there's a book about her called The Girl in the Picture. Uh, but her real name is Kim Fook Fanti. That's her name. It's really nice when we have names you know, for these people we see in the photographs. Kim Fook Fanti. You know, Kim Fook survived her horrendous injuries, but it left deep scars on her body and I think more seriously on her soul. Some years later, while reading the Bible, you know, she came across this very passage that is our text for today. She read these two verses, Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28. And this is how she described her response to these verses. She said, this cannot be right. Oh Lord, do you not recall how many enemies I have? At the top of the list, of course, were all those involved in the destruction of my country and the dropping of the napalm bombs that forever changed my life. Forgive them. Forget it. There is just no way. Christianity is too difficult a thing. I struggle with the prospect of accepting and implementing these lofty-sounding instructions. The wrongs that had been done to me were deeply grievous. Friends, let's be honest with ourselves. These verses in Luke's Gospel are probably among the most difficult in the whole Bible. And you know, they're not difficult because they're hard to understand. I, I think they're difficult because they're so easy to understand. They're difficult because they're so clear and so direct. You know, maybe some of us wish Jesus had never said these words. You know, I, I know I, for one, when I read this passage, I'm inclined to soften the impact of these words to rationalize them, to excuse myself from why I don't obey them. I, I, I'm inclined to limit their application, to say, well, in these circumstances, maybe, but in my circumstances, they don't apply, right? Because God, you don't know what I'm going through. But Jesus speaks these words to his disciples. You know, they are part of the Sermon on the Plain. Can we just move the slides along, please? Yeah, great, thank you. Jesus speaks these words to his disciples. They are part of the Sermon on the Plain, which began in 
verse 20, you know, Ian started, started us off in this text last week. And in, in his sermon on the plane, Jesus teaches us what it means to be his disciple. So in, in the earlier verses that we looked at last week, uh, we, we thought about what is a disciple. Right? And, and we heard from Jesus that a disciple is poor and humble. A disciple hungers for God and his salvation. A disciple weeps over sin. A disciple suffers. A disciple suffers opposition and rejection because of Jesus. Now in these verses, Jesus goes on to the question, you know, what does a disciple do? Right? We've, we've heard about what is a disciple, now we hear about what is a disciple to do. Is there a distinctive conduct? Is there a distinctive way of life that characterizes a disciple of Jesus? And Jesus tells us, yes, in a word, there is. Uh, the love, right? Love characterizes the life of a disciple. But, but what kind of love? What does it mean to love? Jesus says a disciple is committed to love others in a radical, counter-cultural way. So if we follow Jesus, then we must obey what he says about how we are to love. So three points from our text today, just for us to think about how we are to love. And Jesus tells us to love even when it is difficult. Love your enemies, and, and that, that command brackets this whole section. You know, it appears in verse 27, appears again in verse 35. So this really is the main uh, command in these verses. Love your enemies. So how should we love them? You know, Jesus says, it is by doing good to them, although they hate us, by blessing them, although they curse us, by praying for them, although they abuse us, by turning the other cheek, when they hurt us, by being generous, even when they take away what we have, by wishing them well, even though they cough on us. <laughs> love even those who provoke us. Love those who hurt us. Love those who treat us unjustly. You know, these are challenging verses indeed. You know. Jesus says love is more than a, just a feeling. Right? It's, it's more than about being nice. Love is affection in action. Affection in action. You know, notice all the active verbs that Jesus uses. You know, do good, bless, pray, offer, give. I mean, these are all active verbs. You know, that Jesus says this is how you love. Right? You, you, you do stuff. You, you do things that are truly helpful to others. And another thing to note about all these commands is that they're all given in the present tense. So not just love once, but keep loving, keep giving, keep turning the other cheek, keep offering yourself for the good of others. Love turns the other cheek. You know, Matthew's Gospel records this interesting detail you know, that Luke doesn't mention, but Matthew does. If you look at the parallel passage in Matthew 5.39, Jesus says, If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You ever wonder why it was the right cheek? <laughs> now, if you're facing someone, and you know, most of us are right-handed, right? If, if you want to hit someone, which cheek do you hit? Left, right? So right hand, left cheek. So the, the right-handed cheek you know, is, is actually a backhanded slap. So assuming most of us are left-handed, right? Assuming most of us are right-handed. 
So if you hit someone's right cheek, it's actually a backhanded slap, right? When you play tennis, you use your black hand. <laughs> right, so a backhanded slap on the right cheek is, is not so much that someone's kind of beating you up, but, but the picture is, it's, it's a personal insult, right? A backhanded slap. So Jesus is saying, in the case, in the case of sort of personal insult or offense, turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. You know, others may hurt us and others will hurt us. But, but Jesus is telling us, you know, by, by turning the other cheek, it means that we, we can choose not to take offense at every single slight, real or perceived. Right? We can choose not to take offense at every single slight, whether it's real or perceived. You know, we may be sinned against, you know, but we don't have to return sin for sin. I think that's the key principle here. Jesus tells us, turn the other cheek. Don't return sin for sin. Love forgives. Love is long-suffering. Love bears the cost of someone else's offense without retaliation or revenge. Let's pause and think about this. Why should we suffer wrong? Turning the other cheek seems so unfair, doesn't it? You know, honestly, this only makes sense if we are trusting in God to ultimately make all things right. It may not be even in this lifetime, but our hope is in King Jesus, who will bring perfect justice and right every wrong. I think it's that hope in that final justice that Jesus will, he knows what we're going through, he will make all things right, you know, and our hope in that enables us to turn the other cheek. You know, so does this mean that we simply let others kind of walk all over us and, and continue to sin against us? Is that what it means to turn the other cheek? I, I don't think so. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Right? Love rejoices with the truth. So, so turning the other cheek doesn't mean that we are indulging someone else's sin, but, but rather we, we're not responding with sin. And instead, we, we love the person. How do we love the person who's sinning? We, we love the person best, actually when we confront the person with their sin. And, and we lovingly call them to turn to Jesus and to turn away from their sin and to follow Christ. That's the loving thing to do. For example, if, 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 if a spouse is being abused in the home, right, what is the loving thing to do for this, for this abused spouse? Uh, you, you don't return sin with sin, but instead, you, you pray for your abusive spouse. You, you confront your abusive spouse with his or her sin, and you urge them to turn away from their sin and to turn to Christ. And maybe you even involve other godly people around you who can also speak truth into the life of that abusive spouse as well. I mean, that, friends, is, is love. It, it's love in action that seeks the good of that abusive spouse. It doesn't tolerate sin and just indulge the other person's sin. It seeks what's best for the other person. And we know, friends, that what's best for the other person is that we turn away from our sin and we follow Jesus. We follow the example 
of Jesus who, who calls out sin, but he weeps over sinners. I think that's a good approach, to call out sin and to weep over those who are in sin. Hey, love is more than a ceasefire. When someone offends us, we are inclined to practice social distancing. So we are no strangers to social distancing. We do it all the time, especially in times of hurt. You know, a ceasefire is when we, we don't do anything against that person, but, but we don't do anything for them either. Right? That, that's a ceasefire. But Jesus says that that's not the love that's expected of disciples. That, that kind of indifference is not love. You know, a cold war is still a war. Jesus says it, it's not enough just to practice social distancing and not do anything. Jesus calls us to actively do good to the people who have done us wrong. You notice again all the active verbs, you know, bless, pray, be generous. And, and verse 31 sums up this active principle of love. As you wish others would do to you, do so, right? Do so to them. You know, this, this principle is, is, is not entirely new because in, in that time, people were familiar with another principle, which is if you, whatever you don't want people to do to you, don't do to them. You know, that's a negative principle, right? Whatever you don't want people to do to you, don't do to them. But that, that principle just says, you know, be, be passive, right? Just don't hurt people. But Jesus says it's not enough to simply not hurt people. Instead, take the initiative to do good to them, especially those who hurt you. When someone sins against us, we, we can often feel like passive victims of their sin. When someone sins against us, we, we can feel trapped, right? You know, trapped in this circle of retaliation. You do this against me, I do this back against you, right? But love empowers us to break the circle of revenge. Love says, no, if, if you hurt me, I'm, I'm going to do something good for you. It, 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 it actually disempowers the hatred and the sin. It empowers us. So we're no longer passive victims of someone else's sin, but we are active responders with love. We can overcome evil with good. Exactly what Paul says in Romans 12. So what does this tell us about love? What does this tell us about love? I, I love the quote by Paul Miller. I'm reading this book now. It's a, good, it's a really excellent book. It's called A Loving Life by Paul Miller. It's based on the book of Ruth, actually. Uh, so if you, wanna, if, you, if you want to pick this up, I highly recommend it. And, and Paul Miller says this about love. He says, death is at the center of love. Why? Because love calls us to die to ourselves. Right? What we saw in the baptism, you know, that, that's a picture of what love should be like. Right? We, we die to ourselves and we live anew, a life to Christ. Love calls us to die to our own pride. Love calls us to die to our self-centeredness. Death is at the center of love because the kind of love that Jesus describes in this passage moves us away from self and towards another person in humble, self-sacrificial service. You know, Jesus is very, very realistic here in these, in these verses, right? He, he assumes, rightly, that there will be enemies. 
Jesus is under no illusions that life in this world will be difficult, that there will be enemies. Love doesn't pretend that things are easy, but love perseveres, regardless of how the other person responds. Such love doesn't ultimately depend on how I feel. Love doesn't depend on my circumstances. You know, just because I've had a bad day doesn't give me license to be unloving. As Jesus' disciples, we are to love in hard places. And what's more, even now, you know, this, during this time of anxiety, during this time of uncertainty with COVID-19, how much more should we be those who love? Love self-sacrificially, even if others hurt us. You know, I, as I was preparing this sermon this week, I realized how, how much I need these words as well. Because, you know, with COVID-19, there are these work-at-home arrangements. So both me and Claire, my wife, are working at home. And, you know, this, this home ain't big enough for the two of us. <laughs> so so we, we got into a fight. Why? Because I was encroaching on her space. She was encroaching into mine, right? Maybe you've experienced that before, during this time of uncertainty. Love in hard places, right? You know, I needed to repent, to seek her forgiveness, for being short with her. And not just her, like my, my son as well. You know, he, he did something just completely by accident, and I just lost it. I, I, I yelled at him, I was really harsh with him. You know, this, this passage speaks to me as well, how love needs to be present in hard places, and all the more during this time. When, when your know, nerves are frayed and everyone is a bit on edge, uh, we need love. Now, this is why Jesus calls us to love our enemies. So who are our enemies? Uh, the context refers to those who reject us because we follow Jesus. You know, we see that in verse 22, those who persecute us because of the faith. You know, these are what, what I call our big enemies, right? Uh, the, big, the big enemies are people who hate us because we are Christians. So Jesus says, love them, seek their good, pray for them that they may also come to know Jesus. You know, but honestly, we, we live in a country like Singapore, and how many of us have these big enemies? Probably not many. Right? Where, where there's this systematic persecution of Christians, it doesn't happen here. So, so who are these enemies, then, if we don't have these big enemies? I think most of us have what I call small enemies. So not big enemies, but small enemies. Just, just think about your own lives right now. Who are the difficult people in your lives? Who are the prickly people in your life that you think, wow, really hard to love? Right? I, I think they're like your small enemies, right? You know, like your yen zhong ting, right? as, as it says in Mandarin. You know, they, they may be a difficult boss or colleague at work. Uh, they, they may be a difficult parent a difficult child. Yeah, those of us who are married, it may be a difficult husband. It may be a difficult wife. You know, look around in this room. It may be a difficult fellow member of this church. I think these are our small enemies. You know, I was driving this week and someone cut me off. Oh, small enemy. <laughs> It could, be the, it could be the salesperson you meet at the store, right? Someone who really gets on your nerves. You know? You know, and and the, the ironic thing is, it's easier to love our big enemies 
than to love our small enemies. Why? Because, you know, if I tell you to love someone who persecutes you because of the faith, you say, yeah, of course, you know, that, there's something heroic and, and noble about loving someone who persecutes me because I'm, I'm a Christian. Ah, but loving my small enemy, that's a different matter. <laughs> it's so difficult because why we, we can be remarkably petty over small things. We bear grudges, we refuse to let go of our anger and unforgiveness. You know, it's easier to love our big enemies because you know, God sees, wow, this, this is so spiritual, that's so noble. But love this person who cut me off, are you kidding? <laughs> How is Jesus calling us to love the difficult people in our lives? You know, even now, right? why not take a moment, call them to mind, and pray for them. You know, pray a silent prayer for them right now, as you hear his word. And in the wider context of Luke's gospel, enemies also includes those who are different from us. Right? Enemies, I think, also includes the outcast, the stranger, those who are not like us. As you look around, right? Yeah. People who are different from us, he or she may be a foreign worker, a troubled teenager, a vulnerable child from a broken home, a struggling single parent. Society marginalizes these people. It almost treats them like enemies. But Jesus is calling us to move out of our comfort zones and familiar social circles and to move towards people like these, to love the outcasts, to love the stranger, to love those who are not like us. You know, this past week, I was talking to a Christian brother, and he and his wife have experienced fostering children. You know, he told me very honestly, you know, fostering is one of the most difficult things that he and his wife have done. You know, and they're really faithful Christians who love Jesus. But he said these words, you know, he says, fostering a child is also one of the most powerful ways of displaying the gospel and displaying God's love for us. So, so he, you know, he, you know, he's funny, he, he tries to be careful, he, 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 he will like commend fostering, but at the same time he says, if you want to foster, really do it with your eyes open, right? because it's not easy. And yet it's such a powerful display of God's love. And I, I think this is what Jesus is saying, you know, if we love our enemies, we love those who are not like us, we go beyond our circles to love those who are different. Okay, first point is a bit longer. Don't worry, second point is a bit shorter. <laughs> and the point is a bit longer again, sorry. Next point, let's take love in a way that is distinct. Jesus calls us to love in a way that is distinct from the world. You'll notice the contrast Jesus makes in verse 27. Right? He starts us with, but. Right? But, I say to you, Jesus pronounces woes on those who live according to the ways and values of the world. That's verses 24 to 26. And then there's a contrast, right? He says, but you, my disciples, don't, don't do like them. Don't do like the ways and values of the world, but live differently. Love differently. And how does the world live? And some, of you, some of us may know the song. Yeah. I could list a million things I love to like about you, but they could all come down to one reason. I could never live without you. I love the way you love me. You heard that before? Think about that, right? Think about that last line. I love 
the way you love me. Yeah, it's a love song, all right? But it's a love song about himself. <laughs> right? He doesn't love this girl. He loves this girl because she loves him, right? Friends, this is how the world lives. This is how the world loves, right? We, we sing love songs to ourselves. We sing love songs of ourselves. That's why Jesus says, right, love, love is not foreign to this fallen world. Why? Because even sinners, there's in those who are not Jesus' disciples, right? So even sinners love those who love them. Do we love like the world? Do we love others in a self-centered, self-interested, self-seeking way? Do we love only when it's comfortable or convenient? Do we love only if the other person meets our conditions, our expectations, or our standards of behavior? Do we love in that way? You know, and the, the honest truth is that loving our enemies will not make sense to the world. Why? Because the world urges us to love ourselves. The, the world urges us to assert our rights, to love only when we stand to gain. Such love is transactional. It's given in exchange for something in return. And friends, it, it, we shouldn't kid ourselves. If, if we do what Jesus says here, love our enemies, we will appear very foolish in the eyes of the world. I think we need to settle that in our hearts. That if we, if we honestly seek to do what Jesus says, the world will think us fools. So, as Jesus' disciples, are we willing to be fools for Jesus? Are we willing to be fools for Jesus? And finally, love by depending on God. So how should we not listen to these verses? I think the wrong way to approach these verses is to think that Jesus is merely presenting us with a lofty spiritual ideal. You know, we can come to these verses and say, yeah, you know, so nice sounding, right? Yeah, it's such a nice way to talk about love. We might, we might just understand these verses as, you know, some, some kind of nice, airy-fairy, perfect ideal for love. But hey, but actually, Jesus, we, we kind of live over here. These verses are not very practical. Huh? So we kind of just understand these verses as, yeah, a really nice description of perfect love. We think, ah, Jesus can't seriously expect us to love like this, can he? Yeah. You know, note, note how Jesus describes his disciples in verse 27. But I say to you who hear, what, what's the definition of disciple? It's someone who hears, right? Someone who hears the words of Jesus. And what does it mean to hear? To hear means to trust. To hear means to obey. So this is a test of our discipleship. Do we love in this way? If we don't love in this way, it means we're not hearing. And if we're not hearing, what does that say about our relationship with Jesus? So why do we love our enemies? Basically, it's because Jesus says so. That's reason enough. 
And these words are his commands. You know, all the action words that we have seen, they're all imperatives. They're not suggestions. They're not descriptive. But these are all imperatives, they're commands. And, and so a true follower of Jesus will do what he says. A disciple doesn't rationalize Jesus' commands or find excuses not to obey these words. But a true disciple will strive to follow Jesus and what he says. And, and our motivation to love doesn't ultimately come from the person you love. But our motivation to love comes from Jesus himself who speaks these words to us. And we follow him. And that's motivation enough. But how can fallen, broken people love like this? How can fallen, broken people who have been hurt love like Jesus? Such love is beyond us. This is how this passage ties in with our theme. Radical love requires radical dependence. Radical love requires radical dependence. You know, we, we need God. You know, as we come to this passage, we realize how much we need God and His grace. And the good news is that what God requires, He also provides and enables. When we listen to Jesus, we, we not only hear His command, but we also hear His invitation to trust Him. That's what it means to be a disciple who hears. Not only is Jesus an example of love, He is first and foremost the only Saviour for sinners. We have all failed to love. We've all failed to love. We've all failed to love God. We have all failed to love others. You know, look at the passage in Titus 3. It says, We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient. And notice the next line. Hated by others and hating one another. Friends, this is the problem we have. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. God didn't save us because we were so loving. God saved us because we were so loveless. Jesus loved His enemies. And He gave His life for them. God shows his love for us in that, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us while we were enemies. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. You know, this, this stanza is from one of my favorite hymns. It says, My song is love unknown, my Savior's love to me, love to the loveless shown, that they might lovely be. Oh, who am I that for my sake my Lord should take frail flesh and die. Jesus' love for me is love to the loveless. That's who I am, loveless. You know, if, if we have been so lavishly loved by Christ, then how can we not love others if we've received such free, generous, undeserved love? As we read earlier in the service, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, 
Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So death is at the center of love. The death of Christ for us, that is at the center of love. And when we do acts of love done in faith, they are small pictures of the gospel. When we love like Jesus, we, we show the world who Jesus is. When we love like Jesus, we show the world that he has first loved us. Love is evangelistic. Loving like Jesus means sharing in his suffering. That's what it means to love. But the good news is that if we share in Christ's suffering, we will also share in his resurrection. The power of Christ's risen life enables us to love others. Jesus has transformed us from guilty sinners to beloved children, from loveless to loving. And when we love our enemies, we show the work of Christ in us. He has changed our DNA so that we resemble our Heavenly Father in love. And when we love, we show that we belong to God as His sons and daughters. The world cannot see God, but the world can see us. And when we love like Jesus, we show the world what God is like. So we are to be merciful as our Father is merciful. He is our Father and we look like Him. So friends, what are we saying about God? What are we saying about our Father by how we love others? You know, for many years, Kim Fook kept an enemies list. And she said, My heart was filled to the brim with bitterness, darkness, and rage. For too long, I carried about that black sludge. Then, then Kim Fook came to know Jesus. And she began to pray through her enemies list. But instead of cursing them, she began to pray blessing for them each one of them, on her enemies list. And the more she prayed, the more the darkness in her heart began to lift. And her faith in Jesus enabled her to love and forgive those who had hurt her and scarred her. The love of Christ empowered Kim Fook to respond not as a mere victim of war, but to respond with love for her enemies that had scarred her soul. You know, I, I just finished reading her memoir called uh, Fire Road. If, if you want to pick up another book, <laughs> Fire Road by Kim Fook Fanti. It's an excellent, it's an excellent memoir. Actually, very, very encouraging. Just very, very hard, very, very moving. Fire Road by Kim Fook. And, and she writes this in her memoir. She says, The Lord was refilling me with clear, perfectly pure water. I had been freed from bitterness. I had been freed from fury. I had been washed clean and was seeing the fruit of transformation in my life. I was not merely saying that I wanted to become more like Jesus. By His power, this transition was actually, actually becoming so. Friends, this is why we love our enemies. 
not because we are full of love ourselves, but we love our enemy because Jesus is refilling us with clear, perfectly pure water. Will we allow Jesus to remove the anger and bitterness in our hearts? Will we allow Jesus to, to change us from the inside out so that we love instead of hating? And we love even those who are our enemies. Let's spend, some, let's spend some time reflecting on what we've heard in these verses. I've put up some prayer points that we can reflect and pray through in our time together. Let's take a moment. If you're able to, to, to pray these things to God, oh God, help us to grasp the heights of your lavish love for us in your Son. God, help us. Enable us to pray lovingly and mercifully for the difficult people in our lives. God, please help us. Give grace and strength so that we are able to love like Jesus, even when it is hard to do so. Friends, we, we have a moment now to respond to God as we've heard His Word that calls us to love in this way. Let's allow His Word to, to dwell richly in our hearts. Let's, let's have His Spirit move powerfully in us as we pray these things, as we respond to Him by hearing His Word, by trusting Him and obeying Him. Gracious Father, we come to you as a needy, weak and frail people. Father, we come to you not in our strength, but we come to you in our weakness. And even as we've heard your word, God, we confess that these words are beyond us. These words are too difficult for us. These words are beyond what we can do, beyond what we can feel or think. And so, Father, we come. 
We come because you invite us to through your Son, Jesus Christ. We come because we know that you are gracious. We come because we know that you have loved us with an everlasting love because you did not spare your Son, but you gave him up for us all. And because of this, we come boldly. We come crying out to you for help. We have not loved as we ought. We have failed to love. Indeed, we have hated more than we have loved. So Father, we come in our brokenness, in our sin. We confess our lovelessness. And Father, we pray that you would forgive us. We pray that you would forgive us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but rather forgive us because of what Christ has done. And we pray that as we come to him, we pray that you would be continue this work of transformation in our lives. We pray that your Spirit would work powerfully in us to fill us up with clear, pure water. Wash us clean, Father, from within so that we would love as you call us to. Father, as we hear these words today, we pray that these words would sit and take root in our hearts, that these words would bear much good fruit in our lives, in our relationships. Father, we pray for strength. We pray for grace to love. We thank you, Father, because you have first loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.